welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. Well, we have just a few moments remaining, but I do want to share one short challenge from God's Word. And uh, I want to ask you to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. One verse, Acts 1 and verse 8, which is yet another version of the Great Commission to go to all the countries of the world. Jesus said this in Acts 1-8, let us hear the Word of God. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is God's holy, world-reaching word. May we hear it. Father, come, and in the moments that we have, let the word of God now grace the words of people so that we can all be encouraged as the church in this place for those that need the gospel. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. You can be seated. Well, I enjoyed Neil Anderson last week. I, I hope that you did. Uh, Neil being our plenary speaker for the conference. and He talked uh, out of 1 Thessalonians about what I would call being mission passionate, just committed to the message and committed to whatever you have to do and whoever you have to be in order for people to find Jesus. And I want to bookend that, and I want to talk about being mission conscious, mission conscious, so that we carry forward into the next year and remember that each one of us is called to influence others for Christ and to give so that the world can be reached for Christ. We all have to be mission conscious. What's conscious mean? Well, the dictionary defines it as being continually aware of something, to be continually aware. And uh, it occurred to me as I was uh, contemplating my comments today and thinking about being conscious of mission that it's harder and harder today to be continually aware of anything. Have you noticed Time Magazine talked about a study that was done recently about the attention span of the average American. And uh, it, it, it's, it's lower than the attention span of many people in many other cultures and places. I don't know if you knew that. And so I really want you to pay attention. <laughs> the stat frightened me. It was like, like 4.8 seconds or something. Anyway, no, it's not that low. But, and part of the reason is the technological in influence in our culture. This is what the article says. Most people can likely focus fairly well if given a task in a quiet, empty room, most of us. But they'd probably perform worse if they were asked to do the same task in a room where people are talking and music is playing. And in modern life, basically, that's what we're asked to do. In modern life, it says we're essentially living in a world room filled with distractions all the time. The constant temptation of phones, social media, and the internet add to the new human mix. Isn't that true? Portable screens now present a unique minefield of distractibility with their constant flow of notifications and information. By the way, if you haven't already done so, please turn off your phone. 
just sharing. But isn't that the case? We always have to ask for that and think about that. It's a minefield of distractibility with a, with a constant flow of notifications and information. So the, the, the article goes on to say, we're inundated by these things, but they are designed by algorithms and, and, and sounds to catch our attention so that we have this sense that we have to respond. We have to check. How often has that been true of you? When you give in to temptation by pausing a task to check your phone, something interesting happens with your brain. Your brain also has to shift gears to stop what it was previously doing and move to a new task. So you're breaking your divine design. God designed you uniquely in your brain path and everything else to focus on one thing and develop it. But when your phone goes off, your brain has to stop. It has to shift gears and stop what it was doing and move to a new task, if only for a moment. The, the study indicates, there's a study that they did that indicates the more you engage in task switching, the more your brain wants to wander and look for that new thing. Is that starting to make sense? That's why... Last night, you might have been watching your favorite TV show or streamed thing on Netflix, but what did you find yourself doing? Checking your phone. Sitting there in your recliner, checking your phone. That's not just a personality flaw you have, although I'm sure your wife would say that's what it is, but it's, it's why we've, we're becoming reconditioned. So it's harder than ever to focus on something with, with intensity, and it's harder than it ever focused on the, the ultimate and important things. And so now comes into our life all the calls to be committed or involved in or aware of so much. And yet Jesus said, we are to be intensely committed to one mission that has never changed. It's never altered, and it will never be finished until he comes back at the end of the harvest. Our mission as a church is making, teaching, and sending disciples for the glory of God. And it gets harder and harder every year to call people into that because most people's life mission is coping, earning, and surviving. <laughs> right? Well, I want to take just a few minutes and call you back to being mission conscious, to get you back off the phone and into the field. I'm going to do that by briefly answering three questions. What does it mean to be mission conscious? Second, where do we find it in the Bible? And third, why does it matter? Here we go. Ready? What does it mean to be mission conscious? Well, I put it in a phrase, and this is not new to you. I shared this with you a number of years ago when I was talking about the vital signs of a biblical church. And at that time, I, I put it into, into words that I want to repeat to you and call you back to. And you'll see it on the screen. A biblical church is a body of divinely called and divinely sent people proclaiming the gospel across the street and around the world out of a vision for the limitless lordship of Jesus. That's what it means to be mission conscious as a believer. Now, Christians get involved in all kinds of things that they think really are their mission in life. But really, we don't have an option to choose our mission. As I've said many times, you don't give yourself a life mission. Your mission is given to you. It's received, and Jesus gave it to you in Acts 1.8, and that is to reach the world with the gospel, yourself through your relationships or through your giving. So it means you're part of a body of divinely called and divinely sent people because you were sent in Acts 1.8 because Jesus said, everything I'm teaching you to the disciples, you teach others. 
And now here I am, 2,000 years later, reteaching you what Jesus said all Christians are to be taught every generation. Divinely called, divinely sent people, proclaiming the gospel across the street and around the world out of a vision for the limitless lordship of Jesus. What do I mean by that? I mean that Jesus is calling a people to himself from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He's going to do it until he sovereignly decides history is going to be rolled up and he's brought his harvest in. And until then, there's still more glory possible for his wonderful name. So he, he wants to be Lord over more lives and he will be lord over more lives and he wants to use you to make that happen so there is virtually limitless opportunity to bring more people under the lordship of jesus that's what i mean by the limitless lordship of christ now it may surprise you that we're supposed to be that other focused in a church a lot of times people think well a good church is a bible teaching church A good church is a place that opens this book faithfully and passionately and clearly and just teaches the Bible. When I ask people, what kind of a church are they looking for? They'll tell me I'm looking for a Bible teaching church and it's kind of hard to find. But but as, as good as that is, and as much as I welcome that's why you're here, there's something more. You learn the Bible for a passionate purpose to bring that truth to other people. We're not just here for me to open this up well and for you to hear it. Paul Tripp, in in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, talked about what the church needs to remind itself about. He said this, quote, the church is not a theological classroom. I might surprise you. The church is not a theological classroom. It's a conversion, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center. Isn't that awesome? How'd you like to fit that under your church sign? We can't do that, but we need to live that. Conversion, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center where flawed people place their faith in Christ, gather to know and love him better, and learn to love others as he designed. All these people that we just had on the platform helping you take the message out to the world to people who don't know it yet. And so churches are to be outwardly focused as well as as biblically driven. So that's the first question. What does it look like to be missions conscious? You have to go back to the original calling that I read to you and to know that that's what God has for us. Second is, well, where do you find that in the Bible? And I've I've said many times that you find the Great Commission in what I would say are every last thing Jesus ever said. Where do you find the call to reach others for Christ? In every last thing that Jesus ever said. Now, what in the world am I talking about? Every last thing. Am I, do I mean every last thing meaning everything he ever said? No. I'm talking about what Jesus said as his life came to an end. The very last words of Jesus. Now, last words are important. You probably know by now, if you've heard me preach over the years here, that I have a number of weird hobbies. One of my weird hobbies is collecting last words of people, just going online and researching what famous and not so famous and infamous people said when they died. Because I I, want to know how a person expended their life and what their passions were. And you tend you tend to find out that some people die with their passion of their life central in their mind. And uh, so I collect these over there. In fact, a few years ago, somebody in our church uh, gave me a book this thick, uh, uh, the collection of last words of people from all over the world. 
So I'll still read that thing from time to time when I'm bored, just kind of catch up on my, my addiction. But there's lots of famous last words that show that people keep their passions. Uh, composer, composer Gustav Mahler, for example, he died in bed. And, and uh, as he died, he died conducting an imaginary orchestra. So he took his passion with him to the grave. What he cared about the most in life ended up being what was on his mind as he was breathing his, his last breaths and his last words he was conducting. And his last word was... Mozart. Weird, but that's where that guy was at. Another one, Nostradamus. You remember him? He's the person that, believe it or not, he was a pharmacist in France in the 1500s, but he's become famous as somebody that wrote these weird predictions in a, in a journal or a diary, and some of them have come true, people say. He's kind of a seer, but he was not a Christian by any means, but uh, and, and a lot of his predictions haven't come true either. So anyway, but Nostradamus, the famous predictor, he did get one prediction right. His last words when he was lying in his deathbed were, tomorrow at sunrise, I shall no longer be here. <laughs> and he was right. And then maybe the most humorous, I think I've shared it with you before, there was this surgeon named Joseph Henry Green total anonymous guy, but he was apparently a famous surgeon who was so addicted to his work of being a doctor that he was checking his own pulse on his deathbed. <laughs> and as he lay dying, he was checking his pulse, his own pulse, and his last word was, stopped. And that, that was it. So we laugh, and I wanted you to laugh, but... Think about how you spend your life. Think about what you let catch your attention. Think about what you let drain your passion, drain your wallet, drain all the moments and hours that you have, and you don't know how many you will have, and how you finish your life. Last words reveal personal passions. Well, what about the last words of Jesus? What kind of personal passion do they reveal? A passion for lost People. Now, I have to correct myself when I say last words of Jesus, just because some of you are going to catch me theologically out there. Actually, Jesus never spoke any last words in the ultimate sense, because Jesus never died. He died, but he rose again. He is the eternal God-man. So he will never speak a last word. He spoke some, some final words in his earthly ministry, and then now in Acts 1, he's risen and he's speaking further words, and then he ascended to heaven. So these are the current last words of Jesus, but one day he'll speak a lot more. The Bible says in Revelation 19, he's coming back as the word of God. He's going to speak judgment over the nations and all those that have refused the gospel, and he's going to bring history to a close and eternity into view, and then he will speak more words to you and I at the great White, at, the, at the, the Bema seat where we receive reward and evaluation of our lives. So there's more words yet to come. But his current last words, you could call them parting words. Parting words for a time. And every single collection of his parting words is all about reaching the world. Let me just go through them real briefly. You know them all. Matthew 28, 
18 to 20, the great commission. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, therefore what? Because I have all authority. I have total power to be with you when you do this. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's what Mike was talking about up here. Every unreached people group, every nation, every people, all those on the earth today, guys, and all those that are going to come into existence thousands of years from now, make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father. Notice he said, make disciples, not just decisions. Do what we do here. Bring them to Christ. Deepen them in Christ. Send them in Christ. So there you see it. And so we, in a sense, Jesus is saying there, there are unfinished words to be preached, and I'm giving them to you. Go in my authority. There's also, did you know that, by the way, the Great Commission is in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for the sake of time, we'll just hit Luke and John here. And then it's kind of repackaged, if you will, or reemphasized in the book of Acts to show you that it's a present day calling. But some of the other Gospels, I've read to you the Acts portion, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and, and shared that with you. How about Luke, well, Luke's version of the Gospel? Well, gee, that, in, 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 in Luke 19, I, let me go to it. There's, there's one in Luke 24 that I'm not going to read for the sake of time. But I'm going to connect a statement Jesus made in Luke 19 and then his great commission in Luke 20. In Luke 19, Jesus said about himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why do I mention that? Because Jesus had a personal mission statement. That's the Stephen Covey verse of the Bible. Jesus had a personal mission statement. What was it? To seek and to save the lost. Now, put your thumb there in your mind, and then let me show to you John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Put those two verses together. What's your personal mission statement? Oh, it's the same one that Jesus was sent with, which is to seek and to save the lost. People say, evangelism is not for me. I'm sorry. Yes, it is. People say, helping people find Christ, I'm not super comfortable with it. That's for the pastors of the world. I'm sorry because, because the Bible says that Jesus was sent to seek and to save the lost, and he has also sent you. He sent the apostles that way, and then he said, teach everybody else what I've taught you. So it goes to, from the apostles to the first disciples, and from the first disciples all the way to today, the, the, the calling of the church hasn't changed. And so this calling to be passionate for the limitless lordship of Jesus and to be mission conscious transfers over the centuries to you and to me. I'm so glad that Acts 1-8, which I read to you, is also in play because basically it says, this is what I want to do through my church until I return for my church. It's been said that there is only one unfinished Bible book. You say, wait a minute, what are you talking about? There's more to add to the Bible? Be careful, pastor. Well, I'm careful. But did you ever notice how abruptly the book of Acts finishes? The last chapter of Acts, you're in this flowing story and people are coming to Christ and churches are being built and the spiritual battle is being won. And then all of a sudden, fam, the door closes at the end of the book of Acts, Act 28. And haven't you read it and said, boy, I think there should be more here. Well, guess what the more is? You. It's the only unfinished Bible book. It's the book of Acts because it's the acts of the Holy Spirit through God's church. And it's still being written invisibly. And when we get to heaven someday, we're going to stand around the throne room and see the last chapter of the book of Acts and every face, every life, every people group, every tribe, every tongue, praising the Lord. There's the last chapter of Acts. You'll see it in the throne room. And there's a chapter of Acts being written in Spokane County. 
and in Spokane Valley and in the families that you know and the children that you're raising and the people that you know that don't know Jesus yet. So there's unfinished words and there's unfinished work and we need to be conscious of it. And I want to call you back to that. So that's just, I'm just going to stop there and share. Those are, the, those are the, the parting words, not the last words, not the final words, but the parting words of Jesus. How are you going to finish with those? Quickly to the last point, why does it matter? And for the sake of time, I had a lot more to develop here, but I'm just going to share one of the four points that I have. This matters because mission is the only responsibility of the church that has a sell-by date. You know what a sell-by date is? It's stamped on top of just about every perishable food that you buy or milk you buy or sliced ham you buy. Sell-by. Because after that date, it, it's just not any good anymore. It's, it's, it's not what it was designed to be anymore. And, you know, I, I was going over this whole question and thinking about mission consciousness in my life, and it occurred to me, I've been living for the glory of God and the church for over 30 years as a pastor. And I get excited when lots of great things happen in church. I get excited when the gospel is preached. I get excited when the Bible is opened. I get excited when people are taught. I get excited when folks find out what their ministry is. I get excited when somebody discovers what their spiritual gifts are. I get excited when our moral code is kept by a church and, and sin is defeated. I get excited when all those things happen. But it occurred to me the other day, and it's occurred to me before that the only thing that the church won't be able to do in heaven is bring people to Jesus. Think about it. Praise and worship. Is that why you go to church? Is that the thing that excites you most about being in a gathering of believers is if the worship is just sky high and just lifts your emotions? Well, we'll worship in heaven. Bible teaching where you discover the depths of the Greek and, and the cross-references make the Bible come alive and, and you build a personal theology and you come to church and you just get filled up. I'm fed. Will you be fed in heaven? Absolutely. You're going to understand the Bible in ways you never even imagined it in heaven because you'll be perfect and the Holy Spirit will be fully influencing you. You'll, you'll know all of that. So worship will be there. Deep doctrine and understanding will be there. Ex expressing your spiritual gifting and serving God. Will you be able to do that? I'm convinced with that. In the millennium, we'll have marvelous service and leadership and, and influence. And throughout eternity, the experience of, of serving God and, and, and fulfilling the gifting you have, it's all going to be there. But there will be no more lost left to win. There's a sell-by date in all of it. So therefore, mission is the easiest thing to lose. And I just want to encourage you, in your personal life, through all the relationships you have, remember you're here for a purpose. You're here to develop conversations that help people become converted. You're here to take a portion of your funds and to put them into the field that I've brought to your attention today. I want you to be mission conscious because it is a truth that Jesus didn't give us any last words. He only gave us parting words. 
He only gave us parting words. And one day, when we see him again, he'll speak again. So believers today, we live between his parting words, which were, you shall be my witnesses. And one day we will hear his next words, which hopefully for you will be, well done, my good and faithful servant. 